Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Chief Justice Roberts has said for years that the best way to stop discrimination is to stop discriminating. This is the culmination of decades of cases that were very much muddled and divided. Jonathan Turley is brilliant and independent, and I always find his opinion stimulating. But it's really become clear to me he's really got the... uh Kind of the Father Mulcahy voice from M.A.S.H. Oh, You're old enough to remember that. Kind of makes you sound thoughtful, though. So here's the numbers that I want you to use as an underpinning, an undergirding, a floor, a something for this whole discussion about the Supreme Court justice, the Supreme Court ruling yesterday on the whole affirmative action, racial preferences, colleges thing. So the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that anymore. Most of the mainstream media acted like, oh, my God, another rogue decision by a white supremacist court. This is a horror for America. So it's keep, an extremist court. So keep this in mind. Uh, latest polling on this. Which poll is this? Uh, CBS News poll from just the other day. Uh, should colleges be allowed to consider race and admissions? Not allowed. 70 percent allowed. 30 percent. It's a 70 30 issue. So why are you giving me the sad voice, Terry Moran, on the ABC Evening News like something horrible's just happened and everyone knows it and everyone in America agrees with me that this is a sad, sad day. By the way, if you if you go with the public universities, it's 75 percent. Wow. Um, and then when you break it down, you want to break it down by party? Should colleges be allowed to consider racial admission admissions? Not surprising you, Republicans are 82-10 not allowed, but independents are 74-26 not allowed, and even Democrats are 55-45 not allowed. 
So, hey, Evening News, Washington Post, New York Times, everybody, why are you acting like the President of the United States, by the way, who we'll hear from shortly, why are you all acting like something horrifying happened when even a majority of Democrats agree? Well, I don't understand our media at all anymore. I need to learn a second language or something or or study at the feet of the greatest writers alive. I've got to find a better, more colorful way to 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 speak the truth to you good folks that the media and academia are a weird little subculture of America that are full of strange beliefs, some of them sick, but because they are the great mouthpieces of our society, everybody runs around thinking that most people think like they do. Nobody thinks like they do, statistically speaking, and that 24% that's in favor of it. I'd like to sit down and have a reasonable conversation and an exchange of views. I'll bet I could sway 6 8% of them in five minutes. Well, right. As we keep saying, what would those numbers be if all of the media and all everything you learned in college didn't <laughs> flow opposite the majority opi- opinion? Right. So of the Democrats, 55-45, they believe you shouldn't allow race to be considered in admissions. 55-45. Well, how many of the 45 were swayed by their college professor or the Washington Post and think that's what all good, decent people think? So I'm going to think sure. that, too. Mm-hmm. If they found yeah. out that, no, the majority of Americans don't think that, you might bring over easily 10, 15, 20 percent. So my uh, friend Mike the lawyer, who will uh, surely be Mike the judge if there's any justice, uh, he he uh, wrote me a note. So I read the opinion and syllabus from the Supreme Court yesterday. I also did a search for how many times the word Asian appeared in the opinion. Right. It's 104. Now, what's interesting is most of the articles I read yesterday covering this never mentioned the word Asian at yep. all. Yep. It just kept thinking about or kept talking about racism. The uninformed would read this to just assume it's entirely a black and white thing. Interestingly, and to their credit, the New York Times actually, among their many pieces of journalism, quote unquote, uh, about this, had a couple of pieces that uh, did get close to the truth, including pointing out what Jack just did. The vast majority of Americans don't think race ought to be an admission uh, standard. And then uh, this piece by somebody or other. Uh, let's see who, what's his name? I appreciate. Oh, it's David French. OK, well, that's why it swims against the tide of the New York Times. Uh, to understand why Harvard lost and why race-based affirmative action in public colleges and federally funded private schools is now unlawful, it's necessary to understand two key facts about the case. First, the evidence is overwhelming that Harvard actively discriminated against Asian applicants. As the Chief Justice notes in his majority opinion, a black student in the fourth lowest academic decile, that's the 40%, had a higher chance of admission to Harvard than an Asian student in the top percent. That discrimination wasn't unique to Harvard. Chief Justice Roberts makes clear the University of North Carolina, which was a defendant in a separate but tied case, also imposed far tougher admission standards on Asian students. Compounding the injustice, uh, injustice, Asian Americans were already historically marginalized. As Clarence Thomas details in his concurrence, quote, Asian Americans can hardly be described as the beneficiaries of historical racial advantages. Right, and as uh, we read this yesterday, but George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband, who's a political operative also, he tweeted out, uh, hey, people are criticizing this. Keep in mind, race wasn't just a factor in the mix of these decisions. Asian Americans were systematically denied admission because of their race. That's why they didn't get in, and everyone Mm -hmm. should stop pretending otherwise. If you had been a different race other than Asian, you would have gotten in. 
to the college you wanted to get into. You didn't because of something you have no control over, which is the definition of racism. Agreed, 100%. French mentions some of the history of racism against Asians, discrimination, etc., etc., but I think that point's been made. But uh, French goes on to write, as if these facts weren't bad enough, Harvard specifically rejected alternative race-blind formulations that could have achieved comparable student diversity. As Neil Gorsuch noted in his concurrence, the plaintiffs in this case submitted evidence that, quote, Harvard could nearly replicate the current racial composition of its student body without resorting to race-based practices. If it gave socioeconomically disadvantaged students just half the advantage it gave to recruited athletes, and if it eliminated preference for the children of donors, alumni, and faculty. Well, this is just like your opinion, man. Here's the president of the United States weighing in. I know today's court decision is a severe disappointment to so many people, including me. But we cannot let the decision be a permanent setback for the country. Is this a rogue court? This is not a normal court. We can't <laughs> let this decision be a permanent setback even though a majority of your own party agrees with the decision and overall it's 70 to 75% of Americans, what are you talking about? It's a rogue court. The court the court is not supposed to decide based on public opinion anyway, but the fact that the court decision is in line with three quarters of Americans, what are you talking about? It is a measure, a fine, accurate measure of the complete incompetence of the Republican Party well, and the bias of the media, too, in academia, but that they can't aren't just mopping the floor with the Democratic Party that is so steeped in opinions no normal people hold that they ought to lose every election. Anyway, got another minute. I love this article. This is also from the New York Times, to my shock and uh, horror, written by a, uh, a plucky youngster. When I was in graduate school several years ago, I spent my summers getting paid to help Asian-American kids seem less Asian. I was a freelance tutor helping high school students prepare for college admissions, living only a few miles from a heavily uh, Asian part of New York. Uh, for my first gig on a sweltering summer afternoon, I made my way to a cramped apartment where my teenage client told me what she needed for me to read over a college application to make sure she didn't seem too Asian. And, and he laughed, thinking it was a joke, but she's pressed on straight-faced. Good colleges don't want to let in Asians, because they already had too many. And if she seemed too Asian, she wouldn't get in. She rattled off a list of friends with stellar extracurriculars, sterling test scores, who had been rejected from everywhere they applied, even their quote-unquote safety school. Nearly every college admissions tutoring job I took over the next few years would come up with a version of the same behest. The Chinese and Korean kids wanted to know how to make their applications seem less Chinese or Korean. The rich white kids wanted to know ways to seem less rich and less white. And the black kids wanted to make sure they came across as black enough. Ditto for the Latino and Middle Eastern kids. And the people who are against that, people like us, are the racists? Right. What the hell? Where do you come on down on this argument that was bubbling up a lot yesterday? And everybody from AOC on the far left to some of my favorite people on the right were saying, hey, colleges, you're bothered by uh, the, the makeup of your student body? Do away with legacy admissions. Do away with the idea that if your mom and dad went there, you get in. That's why you have 40% of white kids at elite universities are because their parents went there. And like I said, everyone from AOC to people I like on the right think that that should be done away with. What's your opinion on that? I have no problem with that. I haven't spent much time thinking about it. 
Uh, if it's an entirely private university, I suppose they can do what they want. Well, 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 well right. I, I Yeah, with private universities. But if you're going to cry and moan about equity and, and, and diversity and all these different things and lectures about how our live our lives, why are you letting somebody in just because their parents went there? That doesn't make any sense. Well, that's the antithesis of fighting against systemic this and that. Right? Yeah, you can't get more s- systemic than, uh, what's the what's the term people use now? Nepo babies. Uh, some people use that term. I do not. Well, I just did. And I'm going to use it again. Nepo no, babies. No, no, make him stop. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's a great argument. It's all so phony and mobbed up in the, the moaning about racism. These people who are beating their chests and yelling about it are staunchly against school choice for black families in crappy government school districts. They fight it like tigers to make sure those kids don't have a choice in their uh, education. The, the problem is in kindergarten and K through 12. The problem isn't at the gates of freaking Harvard. What is more disgusting than the whole legacy emissions thing? I mean, that is like you having a house of lords. You get to stay in Congress or whatever you get to do just because your family was there. And that's going to continue for generations, regardless of how smart this kid is or that kid. Just because our fam- our family goes to Harvard, our family goes to Princeton. That's disgusting to me. Boy, the more I think about it, the more I agree with you. But you're going to keep that and scream and yell about how awful it is to do away with race preferences. So phony. One day, black America is going to say, as if black America is one thing. That was another one of Clarence Thomas's brilliant arguments, by the way. Stop, quit looking at averages and assume and and attributing the character the uh, the qualities of the average to every individual. There's brilliant people and morons. Come on. Anyway, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, and sometimes uh, smart average, people who maybe should have gotten into Harvard have average kids, or because of the whole shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations thing that is pretty true um uh it's a really good chance your kid or grandkids they just don't try hard enough because they come from a privileged background so why would they automatically get in that's insane it doesn't make any sense at all but it's all so phony and performative oh that's what i was going to say someday the vast majority of um, black voters are going to say you know uh they've been selling us these policies now for like five generations and they haven't worked and things still suck maybe we ought to look in the other direction you know, since you brought that up, maybe we ought to hear from Jason Riley, uh, Wall Street Journal. He he talked about he wrote about that yesterday and talked a lot about it yesterday, and he's got some eloquent things to say, among other things. And then we got Lon He Chen coming up. We get to talk a little politics. Here's a guy who's been involved in presidential campaigns and really knows what he's talking about. Coming up later. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. 
So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. PF measures level of blockage of UVB rays, and the PA system measures level of blockage of UVA rays. When you see a sunscreen that's labeled broad spectrum, that means it blocks both UVA and UVB, but you don't know exactly how much it blocks the UVA unless it has that PA rating. Now, this PA rating goes all the way from one plus up to four pluses, and it correlates with something called PPD, which is persistent pigment Okay, I darkening. think I get the point. So, um, the whole sunscreen world why can't i mean i'm not a government regulation guy but why can't we get to some place where the numbers mean something and we understand what it is as we're putting it on our own faces or our little kids or whatever because it's all over the place whatever the hell spf means or is it uvb or uva or what am i supposed to be worried about so this same person says that spf 15 blocks 93 percent of the rays spf 50 blocks 98 percent of the rays okay so a few more percentage but the spf 15 is fine so why am i spending all the extra money for the higher number which is also phony often and i thought i was into sunscreen but that plus stuff uh, that uh, mystified me i need to hear that again i always remember this and i think this is probably true the best sunscreen is the one you're going to remember to reapply Yes. Put it on over and over again. You can't just put it on once and forget it. As a guy who's had many, many things cut off of his body. A vestigial tail. (laughs) Right. The 11th toe. (laughs) 
and sun damage. Yes. Um, I don't know if I'm feeling Jason Riley. Are you feeling Jason Riley? Yeah, we promised him. We did promise him. Got to okay. keep your promises. This mm. is a uh, black guy, Wall Street Journal uh, columnist on on how affirmative action wasn't helping black people. Anyway, here we go. It, it wasn't just the sort of dubious constitutionality of using race as an admissions criteria. It was whether this is, in fact, benefiting black students, whether you are sending these kids, funneling these kids into these schools for window dressing so that these schools can say, we look like America, so that their catalog can look right. Whether you're doing them in any favor, if in fact, at the end of the day, they end up dropping out or switching to easier majors. So I think this is a good ruling, not only on the fact that I think it is unconstitutional, but that it is not helping the blacks that uh, the policy was set up to help. The people it's intended to help. That is so absolutely, obviously true. That's been borne out of survey after survey, research project after research project. You send kids to these super elite universities who are not prepared, they will wash out. Not even to mention the fact that even a majority of Democrats think it's just a bad thing in general to discriminate based on race hey we have a celebrity death the actor alan arkin has died at the age of 89 who was still was the the show comiskey method which he is getting a lot of acclaim for in netflix but one of my all-time favorite actors i don't know if you have a favorite alan arkin role but he's in little miss sunshine um, oh right he was my one of my favorite movies of all time the in-laws with uh the guy who played columbo whatever his name was great movie but glenn gary glenn ross he is so great in that movie oh but catch 22 that's by far the all-time best alan arkin movie if you want to dive into alan arkin tonight we're gonna talk to lon he chen a little bit later we've talked to him about politics a lot over the years he's been in presidential campaigns he knows a lot about policy these are perhaps the weirdest times that will ever be. So, a good time to consult the great Lon He. The weirdest times that were, uh, will ever be. That's coming up. If you miss an hour, get the podcast. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including... Actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to 
do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, is that that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Constitution says we hold these truths to be self and all men and women are created equal and endowed by their creator. As the ancient president yesterday, how did how did he slip that in talking about affirmative action, though? Anyway, different topic. Um, that's your ancient president. Uh, we've got uh, some new poll numbers out about the race for whoever wants to run against Joe Biden. Hit you that with those in just a little bit. Blockbuster Supreme Court decisions, all sorts of stuff to discuss with Lon He Chen, David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution and the Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. Lon He, how are you? I'm well. Good morning, gentlemen. Great to be with you again. Oh, it's always a pleasure. So the stumbling, fumbling, bumbling ancient president reminded me of an observation that we heard the other day that the presidential race could well be an 80-year-old versus a convict on either side. <laughs> Right, and you can say that to whoever you want oh to, and they'll like nod knowingly. But you, you know, it'll work. That'll work in any room. That joke. Um, so, well, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, I, I think in some ways uh, the the two of those candidates kind of need each other politically. You know, and I think that's what the the intriguing thing about this is is that if you look on Joe Biden's side, he's going to have a tough time beating. I, I think beating any Republican, probably except for Donald Trump. And, you know, from Donald Trump's perspective, I think he's going to have a tough time beating any Democrat except for Joe Biden. So it's an interesting dynamic for, for both of them. And, and politically, it creates this, this interesting thing where whenever, you know, something comes up that makes it more likely for Trump to be the nominee, I think the, the Biden campaign is quietly celebrating. And every time it, it seems like Joe Biden is, is certainly going to be the Democratic nominee, the, the Trump team celebrates. Yeah, and then my kind of mutual, mutual, mutual love for one another. Yeah, and then my favorite poll number of all, that only 5% of Americans want a rematch. <laughs> and that's what we're most right. likely going to get at this point. So the most leading right. polling, for instance, out of Pennsylvania, Trump and Biden tie in that crucial, you know, you almost got to win it to become president. It's currently a tie. Um, and then approval rating in Pennsylvania, Biden 39, Trump 41. So Biden's mm-hmm. actually a slightly less popular within the margin of error. And then for the race 
for the Republican nomination in Pennsylvania, Trump's up 25. Nationally, in the latest Fox poll, Trump's over DeSantis by 34. So we haven't talked to you in a while. Where do you see the Republican race right now? Well, first of all, a, a lot of those national numbers are are pretty easy to ignore in the sense that they're really about, you know, who have you heard of before? We in, in politics, we call it sort of name ID, right? Whoever is more recognizable, you know, voters will say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm for that guy. And, you know, Trump has universal name ID. And so, you know, we know that on Earth, get a certain share. Trump has universal yeah, exactly. name ID on planet Earth. You could go to the jungles of Africa and find some tribe that doesn't know cars exist, and they've heard of Donald Trump. Show them a picture and I say, mean, who's, this, <laughs> who's this? They'll say, oh, that's Trump. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's I, probably more name ID than any American president before him. You know, so, so there's that piece of it. The, the national numbers really, in my mind, don't tell me a whole lot. So then you go to the early state numbers. I look at Iowa and New Hampshire and, and states like that. And, you know, there, I think the story is a little bit more uh, complicated. I think Trump is obviously doing well in New Hampshire, which is a state he's always done well in. In Iowa, it's a lot closer. It's a state that he's traditionally had, you know, maybe some issues with. Uh, and then you go to South Carolina, where, you know, a couple of the candidates are native South Carolinians and, and have a decent amount of, of identification there. It's a lot closer as well between Trump, DeSantis, Tim Scott, and, and Nikki Haley. So the the race is complex in the sense that, Yes, Trump has a very strong base and is a hard-baked base. In other words, there's a percentage of his vote that is not going anywhere, regardless of what he does. Uh, how big that number is, I think, is the operative question. Is it 25% of the Republican base or is it you know, 35% of the Republican base? That makes a big difference in terms of how competitive this race is going to be. But the, the bottom line is this, guys. Trump, this, this is Trump's race to lose. I think it always has been. And if you look at the, the dynamic of who will be there to face him, the question is, is it going to be Ron DeSantis, who does seem best positioned to be in that number two spot to take him on directly? Or is it going to be one of the people in what I call the pack? Is it going to be Tim Scott from South Carolina, Nikki Haley? Is it going to be somebody else we're not talking about right now? That's the way I see this race. Is it is Trump's to lose, but there is a dynamic here that suggests that his positioning is not as strong as some in the national media might think. What do you make of Ron DeSantis' efforts so far? Or what do you think he ought to do uh, better? Hey, I got I want to just jump in here because it's exciting. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has struck down Biden's school loan bailout BS. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Any quick reaction to that as it just came across? Well, I, I mean, it's not surprising because it's not it's not legal the way he did. It, <laughs> right? I mean, he, <laughs> it's so, not surprising because I mean, it was illegal. <laughs> it, 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 you know, I mean, the president just can't. Come According along to say, him, Nancy Pelosi and Barack Obama, by the way. But go on. Yeah, well, it, it, you know, it's like you can't come along and say, "Hey, I feel like as the president, I'm going to write a law." It's like that's not your job, and so you can't come along, write a law, and expect the Supreme Court to uphold the constitutionality of something that's patently illegal. So I, you know, what, whether whatever you think about the substance of of uh, writing off a bunch of student loan debt, the way they did it was totally ridiculous so the supreme court was you know this came out exactly the right way and i don't think anybody should be surprised well uh, the, i think the most important point is that i'm vindicated as a father since i told my three young adult children look this is not going to happen there's no chance <laughs> yes. it's unconstitutional do not make financial decisions right. on the basis of this fantasy the fun part will be to watch the broadcast news and see if they treat this like a horror and a disappointment and a sad day for America, do. like they did with the affirmative action ruling, even though a, jur a majority of Americans agreed with it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's amazing. And I, I always have to remind people, 
you know, it's, it's illegal in California for public universities to use affirmative action. They say, no, it's not. I said, no, 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 it is. It's, it's been illegal for 20 years, actually. And, and, and by the way, I don't, you know, I, I think if you'd ask the liberals, California hasn't fallen off a cliff. So, so, you, so you, you tell me what part of this you don't understand. Is well, it, and UC Berkeley doesn't exactly look like an all-white Klan meeting. I mean, it's not. It doesn't look like you know Christmas in Norway. It's it's they find ways around it. So, what do you make of a the decision and b the politics around it? Given the giant divorce between how Americans think about how they feel about affirmative action versus the way it's portrayed in the media. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that um, for most Americans, and I think this has been backed up by the survey research, if you ask them whether we should be a society that looks at people as people rather than as characteristics, you're going to get a pretty significant majority who say, yeah. And, and that's what the decision yesterday basically means. It basically means that, that colleges, as they consider individuals, have to look at people and say, what do you as a person not you as a Asian person or you as a Hispanic person. What do you bring to the student body? Uh, and by the way, we should be considering people's socioeconomic backgrounds and things that influence how well they've done in life and what it, you know, where they started from in life. Absolutely. And the Supreme Court completely allows for that. What it says you can't do is it says you can't look at someone and say, ah, because you have this immutable characteristic called race, you have you know, this much more likelihood or this much less likelihood to be admitted to the college. And I think most Americans look at that and they think about that principle and they say, yeah, that makes a heck of a lot of sense to me, that we as a society should be moving toward doing what we can to promote equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome. And, and, and to me, you know, that's what yesterday's Supreme Court decision reaffirmed. And, and I actually wrote a small piece about this this morning because the reality is the Supreme Court foreshadowed this, you know, for all the breathless talk about, oh, we've turned back 40 years of precedent and look at how crazy these guys are. The Supreme Court didn't overturn anything yesterday. They didn't overturn a thing. What they said was when Justice O'Connor said in 2003 in the last major affirmative action decision, she said, you know what, I don't think she said for the court, by the way, not just herself, she said for the court, I don't think we'll need affirmative action in 25 years. I don't think we should have it in 25 years. And guess what? It's been about 25 years. So what the court did yesterday was to validate what every court before it has done, which is that America is a society where we look at people as people. And that's what yesterday's decision was. Well, that's what you see. I see a rogue court that is the face of white (laughs) supremacy. And I noticed that this new decision on Biden's student loan thing is a 6-3. So 6-3 is the new 5-4. And as the Washington Post said, broke down on ideological lines. So I'm expecting the president or at least the White House to once again say this is an out of control court. We've seen the approval rating of the Supreme Court drop, 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 drop over the years. It's now, you know, unpopular like everything else. I'm really worried about that development in American society, that it's now just okay for a president to come out and say that was decided wrong by the Supreme Court. And and, and we're and, and they're, a, they're a bunch of, oh, it's a rogue court. This, this is a new thing. Does it trouble you? Yeah, because this, the Supreme Court as an institution was always kind of protected in a lot of ways from, from the political dynamic. I mean, of course, it, it's impossible. I, I don't think we should see Supreme Court justices as apolitical actors. They're, they're, they're all political actors at some level. And by the way, like if you do research on these things, as I did you know, once many moons ago, what you find is actually that, that the judicial branch is not any less political than other branches of government. That having been said... There's a level of insulation we give the courts and a level of insulation we give the Supreme Court in particular. And that's always been reflected in public opinion until recently. Now, it's still more respected 
than other branches of government. I mean, it's a low standard. When you're talking <laughs> right. About Congress has a 9% approval rating. So. <laughs> right. But, but relatively speaking, the Supreme Court's doing better. And I think it's important for, regardless of how we feel, you can criticize the decision all you want. Every, it's a free country. People can like it or dislike it. But then to go after the court as an institution, I think that's deeply problematic for politicians on both sides. I don't think Republicans or Democrats should be doing this, by the way. The reality is that we uh, yeah. have these institutions in place. The, the, the framers were, were, were elegant and smart in the sense of putting together the system where we have these checks and balances, and we need that. And so when you go after an institution like the courts that are designed to be the check, designed to be the balance, you're disrupting really what makes our system work. And that's what bothers me about politicians who then go after these guys and, and not just them as, as their decisions, but go after the institutions and, and the justices personally. That bothers me. Uh, there is no decency or regard for the future left, Lon. He, we just all have to get over it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm digging. It, it's astonishing to me that they got three justices to say, oh, yeah, that the student loan plan is fine. The, the, the liberal minority is essentially saying the executive can do anything it wants. I mean, Sonia Sotomayor, there's a quote from her dissent saying, hey, uh, the pandemic put people back financially, and a lot of them don't have the money to pay off their loans. Yeah, same, same with car loans and, uh, and rent and all kinds of other things. So what's next if the president can do this? Yeah, I don't well, know. And, well, and this, is, this is a problem. It keeps spreading. Yeah, no kidding. Well, the national, federal government keeps spreading. Anyway. Discussion for another day. Uh, Lon He Chen, uh, David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. Uh, we'd love to talk to you all day, yeah, but uh, let's do it again soon. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks. I would have loved to have him go on for a half an hour on the research he did. He's a Harvard Law guy, so I imagine that's what he's talking about. Um, I would love to have him go on the research he did on how the judicial branches every bit as political as the other branches and how that manifests itself and 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 yeah that'd be fascinating discussion i would love to hear more on that yeah why don't we let's make a a note mental or otherwise to talk to him about that someday what a great uh great idea hey i have um let me set it up this way i i like lonnie very much and i respect him a great deal and i was so tempted to ask him an explosive question he clearly only got into harvard because he's asian well, I was going to ask him an explosive question, but then I thought better of it. The question Joe Getty didn't dare to ask Lon He Chen coming up. <laughs> okay. That's a good tease. The very scary sounding delivery. Uh, bunch of stuff to talk I, about. I, I tell you what, though. I'm, I'm serious, though, about how important this question is. Did you hear the deal that Hunter made with the baby, the stripper baby mama from Oklahoma? Oh. Did you hear oh. that deal? What kind of deal is that? If you haven't heard that, too, stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So the Supreme Court just ruled that, no, Joe Biden can't, with a stroke of a pen, wipe out student loan debt, uh, which, thank God. But it was 6-3, which means three people thought he could. Which is amazing. Some of the reactions to this decision we'll get into to kick off the uh, third hour of the Armstrong and Getty show. But Gorsuch, for instance, said, I can't believe we're even looking at the same case about Sotomayor's dissent. The court is more, I mean, if you followed any of Clarence Thomas's blast of Katanji Brown yesterday, the Supreme Court is, 
not to mention the fact that somebody leaked Dobbs, and they all are, you know, looking side-eyes at each other already over that. But If only we could talk to someone who is a brilliant constitutional scholar and a great communicator and a friend, Tim Sandifer, top of next hour, the fabulous Tim the Lawyer. Great to discuss this and more. What a great stroke of luck that is. Oh, please. It's fabulous. Not staff effort, luck. You've so, undermined you've undermined our executive producer, Hanson. So what is uh, what was your question for Lonhee? The question Joe Getty didn't dare to ask <laughs> Lonhee Chen. Wow. First as a preface, as I said to begin the show today, everything's performative all the time now. Everything, everywhere, all the time. Pretty much. Nobody actually is trying to solve the problem they claim to be trying to solve. They either want money or power or, you know, something else. Or they're just emotional and want stuff. But virtually nobody's about solutions. And and I wish they would quit pretending they are because it's distracting and uh, and those of us who'd like to actually solve things you're you're just you're getting in the way for instance why are we not having a giant national conversation on first the question i wouldn't ask then the one i would why do asian kids do so much better than black kids in school no kidding how do we have this ruling without getting into that Okay, now the answer could be, and these days it would probably be enough to stop the conversation, uh, systemic racism is why against black people. It's different than Asians. Asians have been discriminated against, but not the stain of slavery, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fair enough. We've already gotten off track. We're now spouting uh, slogans at each other. We're not talking about what really afflicts black kids and their education in America. So I retract that question and I ask you this one. Let's start here. Why do Asian kids do so much better than white kids in America? There you go. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about valuing education in general in a family. Let's talk about intact families. Asians have far fewer out-of-wedlock births than than, uh, white people do, for instance. Let's talk about uh, reading to children at home. Let's talk about the quality of schools in the neighborhoods where Asian people tend to live. Let's talk about every input to the bad output that you're claiming needs to be fixed with affirmative action or anti-racism or anything. Why does nobody talk about the inputs and they just talk about the results and want to change it at the end? Yeah, it's the same thing that was happening at the beginning of the pandemic and businesses were starting to go under because of all the uh, shutdowns. And the Wall Street Journal had that article that the businesses that were surviving had the most money for a rainy day signed up were Asian American and Indian American, followed by white I think white and Hispanic were about the same and then black. Same as a lot of the results in our schooling. So you think it's racism or? And again, nope. whites were in third place in this list. Yeah. So that's why Charles Murray's book from, geez, 15, 20 years ago, where he focused on the problems of white America was good. It's just like your question. It gets you away from the whole, you can't claim this is racist. I'm saying, why are white? Why are there so many white people on welfare? Why are there so many? Answer the question for that. And then maybe you can, you know, extrapolate it to black America. Yeah. Yeah. I played a little golf yesterday, as I'm wont to do. It's kind of hot out. Um, 
Uh, I'm picturing a college golf team that decides they want to look like America. They got 10 guys on the squad, and they want to have, you know, two black guys or three or whatever. But they can't get good enough golfers of whatever color. Let's say Filipinos, just for fun. Um, And so they decide, well, what we're going to do is put two Filipinos on the golf team, whether they're good enough golfers or not, prepared enough. Um, That would be unspeakably idiotic from the point of view of both the golf team and the golfers. Obviously, the solution is, okay, we got to go into Filipino communities and get the first tee programs going. That's a great golf program and character and, and stuff for kids. We got to find Filipino kids who love the game of golf but can't afford to play. Let's help them play. Let's get Filipino kids ready to play golf at the collegiate level. Nobody would suggest, now let's just put them on the team. (laughs) Dang it, we didn't get to the bizarre settlement in the Hunter Biden stripper baby mama case. We have to get that to you, but we got Tim Sandifer Legal Eagle coming up. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.